Ladies and gentlemen, my name's Ben, and in this episode of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast, I'm chatting to a bloke who's taken a very unique approach to working in the barbecue industry. Hey family, I hope you're well wherever you are and you got that thin blue smoke rolling. This is episode 130 of the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast and this afternoon we're chatting with Shannon Walker, the man behind Butcher Wars and a whole bunch of other stuff. But before we get into that, I've got a couple of announcements that I do need to run by you first. The first is that this episode is very proudly brought to you by Jagged Wood Fired. If you're in the market for your next barbecue, grill, smoker, perilla, all sorts of different stuff. They can build it. And if you've got a custom job in mind, Glenn loves a challenge. So do make sure you check them out. We are going to hear a bit more from them later on in the episode. But yeah, do head on over to jaggedwoodfired.com.au. Check them out. Got some great stuff. And big thanks for bringing you this episode. The second announcement is that we do have a free mini ebook available for you on the website. It's the Beginner's Guide to Real Barbecue. So head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com. Have a bit of a click around the website. A pop-up is going to pop up in front of you. And you can enter your details in there and we'll shoot that little mini ebook straight out to your inbox for you. So if you're just at the beginning of your barbecue journey and you're not too sure what real barbecue is, we've got you sorted. Go on over to smokinghotconfessions.com, check that out. The second is that if you're not there yet, do come and join us over at the Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue community on Facebook. It's a very different type of barbecue group. It's very open. We are welcoming of everybody. All the guff is left at the door and we just hang out and talk barbecue and have a good time. It's a real nice positive space to just hang out with some friends and, uh, and share some barbecue pics and stories and whatnot. The last announcement is if you're watching on YouTube, do give us a thumbs up, a subscribe and hit that notification bell. If you're watching on Facebook, give us a like and a share. That would really help us out. Drop a comment if you've got a question or something more you'd like to know. If you're watching on IGTV, do give us one of those cute little hearts and a follow. And if you are listening on a podcast app, do give us a five-star rating and review, particularly if you're listening on an Apple device. For whatever reason, we're not too sure, but all those ratings and reviews help to drive us up the Apple charts and expose the show to more uh, people out there. So if you are enjoying the show, if you've liked the series, do make sure you jump on there. Give us a rating and review. It would really help us out and I'd really appreciate it. So as I said at the top of the show, we are talking to Shannon Walker. And so he typically spends a lot of time behind the scenes, but today we're going to bring him out into the light and we're going to uh, put him on the spot here in the confessional. So he is the man behind Butcher Wars. He works at Black Bear and does a whole bunch of other stuff all related to the meat and barbecue industry. So without further ado, let's bring Shannon in here. This is the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Podcast with your host, Ben Arnott. How long's it been since your last confession? All righty, Shannon, welcome to the confessional, my friend. How are you today? I'm wonderful, thanks, Ben. Thanks for having us. I'm really um, super excited for this. Mate, any time, any time. It is a pleasure to have you here. I've met you at so many competitions now, and I'm actually able to uh, to, to pin down sort of who you are because you, you're sort of all over the place in terms of uh, all the different um, aspects of the industry that you're involved in. So I can uh, put it all into one place now and I, uh, and I can get a, get a better handle of what's going on. So, um, mate, tell me, what was the last thing that you barbecued? The last thing that I barbecued was um, yesterday morning I put on 16 briskets. 16 briskets. Yeah, that was just for a, uh, an early morning Wednesday uh, lunch. Right. <laughs> so you were just having one or two friends over for lunch then? Yeah, no, it was at work, it was at Black Bear. Um, yeah, my role there is to trim the briskets for them, get them on the pit, get the pit alight, and um, 
and when the other pit masters come in a little bit later, they like to sleep in. Uh, being a butcher, I get up early and uh, I do all the early work for them. Yeah, right. So let's start off with um, with the with the start of the story, I guess. Um, you just mentioned that that you're a butcher. Tell us how you got into that. Okay, so I, was, I left school. I didn't do year 10. I left school really early. Um, and I was working part-time at McDonald's. My parents said, if you leave school, you need to have a job. So I, I rang up McDonald's and said, can I start full-time? And they said, yes, certainly. So the very next morning, I was down there at 5.30. This is before McDonald's used to have breakfast. Oh, right. But we used to open at six at this particular store. And the first job was to go up to 7-Eleven, buy some muffins, some bacon, and some eggs. So we actually had a bacon and egg McMuffin on the menu. Right. So my claim to fame is cooking the first ever bacon and egg McMuffin at McDonald's. Oh, wow. There you go. So, so I was doing the McDonald's gig for a while. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, and my parents sort of said, you know, you need to get yourself a trade. So my stepmother at the time was looking at uh, talking to the local butcher and he said it was a fantastic industry. There's always, always work. So we looked into it and it was a pre-apprenticeship at TAFE for, for butchery. So I went to TAFE and did an IQ test, which you had to, had to do to get into any of the courses. Really? Yeah. So they told me I could be a painter or a butcher. Okay. Yep. It doesn't, doesn't say much for my IQ. <laughs> I don't know about that. But um, so I started um, a couple of weeks later in the pre-apprenticeship at, at TAFE and I was lucky enough that a local shop was looking for an apprentice and they, they approached TAFE and at that time my marks were quite, quite good and they put me on. They offered for me to come in and do Sundays as a wash-up boy where most butchers start as a wash-up boy. Um, so I progressed there to that, to that store and that was back in 1985. Right, okay. So it was a really hard work back then. Thursday nights had just come in. Um, Sundays were just starting. So it was long hours. Um, I remember the second week that I was there, we had sausages on special for a dollar a kilo. Wow. So I stayed back in my second week till nine o'clock every night, a six o'clock start. Yeah, wow. And just made sausages with the boss. Yeah. So I really picked up how to make sausages really quickly. Yeah, I'll bet you did, yeah. What's that, like a 15-hour day? Yeah, and that was every day of that week. Wow. Five days and then turn up Saturday as well and do it again. Well, you would have known by the end of that week, if uh, given that it was the second week of your apprenticeship, that, you know, if, uh, if, if butchery was for you or not, if you'd done just a week of that 15-hour days. Yeah, that's right. Like, I've always been a hard worker. Like, you know, I used to wash cars, take, take the lawnmower around the streets and, you know, anything for a dollar. Yeah. Um, so I didn't mind doing an extra bit. But, yeah, it, it did become tougher when I got a little bit older. And Friday nights, Saturday nights, going to the club. My <laughs> mates are going out. But, um, but I, I did take up part-time work in a bakery. So I'd start at the bakery at 11, finish there at 5, and then go straight to the butcher shop. Two oh, wow. So, huh. yeah, it was, a good, it was a good transition into actually getting out there and, and working, you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of kids don't sort of get, a, get too much of that experience anymore. No, they don't, unfortunately. It's, um, it's, it's hard to get them motivated and working at a good speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So g- given that you've got this lifelong experience working in the meat industry and you've got, uh, you know, you've 
made one or two sausages, as we've just talked about. What is your your favorite barbecue? Your your favorite smoker or grill? Uh, I've, I've got seven kettles at home, Webbers. Ah, oh, you're a Weber man. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a Weber man. Um, I, I, before that, I had a six burner uh, gas barbecue, which I thought was the bee's knees and unbelievable. Um, and then I got introduced at meat stock to charcoal, and I have not used the gas barbecue. Well, sorry, I've used it once to heat up uh, for a function that I did. So I, I had to cook for 140 people one day, and I, I used seven Webers to cook uh, 12 legs of lamb. But yeah, I'm, I'm a Weber guy. Um, I've just been lucky enough to have a, a use of the new smoke fire. Oh, Pellet grill that, that Weber's brought out. Yeah. Um, yeah. The boys at Black Bear and myself did a couple of videos mm-hmm. um, and really, you know, opened my eyes up to pellet snakers, which I haven't used before. Okay. I've heard uh, mixed reviews of that smoke fire, Weber. How did you find it? Yeah, well, the, the, I found it really good. So the mixed reviews you may have heard were from the previous, from America, the release in America. Yep. They've since fixed most of those or all of those problems. Okay. Um, didn't miss a beat the whole time we used it. Oh, that's good. That's really good. Yeah. Um, very easy. You've got the app on your phone. Yeah. Simple, simple, simple barbecuing, but the flavor was really good. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I, um, I did see one of the videos that you did uh, chop what I think was the guy that was in it. Yeah, a lot, that, of that, a lot of that was all just for the camera. Like, he doesn't really work. Oh, doesn't he? No. <laughs> no, he's a good bloke, Chop, man, yeah. So we, there's 18 videos coming out. Um, 18? That Jay from Meat Stocks produced. Wow. Um, from us and the Weber Kettle guys, and, and even um, size involves there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, so he's done a few too, and it's really good. And the boys, you know, really love doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jay's uh, Jay's a miracle man with those cameras. He does some amazing looking stuff. He, he could make me look beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So let's loop back to those kettles. Have you got any any uh, interesting ones, collectors ones? Uh, I wouldn't say collectors. I, I did the first one I got was a burgundy. Oh right, uh, with a, with the gas attachment, and I didn't know much about him. And actually, the, one of the first guys I met in barbecue was at the Parramatticon. He was a judge, and that was Golly. All right. So it was a beautiful day, actually. I love golly. Um, but I ring him up and I said, I got this burgundy. Is it any good? And he said, oh, yeah, that's good. And a week later, he rang me up and said, do you want to sell it? Oh, I don't really want to sell it. But if you want it, you can have it. And just give me another one to cook on. I just needed something to cook on. It didn't really bother me whether it was collectible or not at the time. Yeah. So he, next day, I took, took it up to him. And the very next day after that, I got a brand new Weber in a box. Wow. So the burgundy was worth a bit, I think. I think it might have been. We've got to trade it for another barbecue, which is fine. Like, yeah, money didn't bother me. Uh, I got a brand new Weber, so I was happy. Yeah, can't argue with that, can you? No. And most of the others have been roadside fines or, or Facebook Marketplace, $40, $50 ones. Um, oh, so before the wild inflation. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> Yeah, I've actually been lucky enough to do a few classes at some of the Weber stores as well. Oh, nice. Um, so we ran a, a home, home-eating barbecue at Marston Park. We ran a couple of um, butcher and barbecue classes. So, yeah, so by picking up those little cheap Webers, I learned how to cook on the Weber and, and did a few classes, which was Yeah, cool. right. Very cool. I love that. Yeah. So tell me about Black Bear then. How did you get into Black Bear? 
Okay, so Port Macquarie competition, the Black Bear boys were there. I think they actually competed that year. But I, I heard a little bit about them on social media and I, I went up and had a beer with them and had a little bit of a chat, probably a bit of a pest, actually asking a lot of questions. <laughs> um, their store's only about 15 minutes from me. Oh, that's nice. So about a week or two later, I had some old butcher trays that I thought they might be able to use, so I dropped them into them. They really appreciated that. And then I had, um, going back to Jay Beaumont, he, he was in Sydney doing a presentation. And I said, do you want to stay at my house? So he said, yeah, that'd be great. So I sent a message to the Black Bear boys. I don't know if they remembered who I was. I said, Jay Beaumont from Luke Stocks, going to be at my house on Tuesday night. Can you guys open? Because they were only open on a, on a Friday back then. Can you guys open? I don't want to serve him results. Yeah, right. Okay, so they said, yeah, no worries. So they created an event called Tuesday Tunes. So they had a, the Volky, the singer there, and we went down there and we got there about 6 o'clock and there was 150 people lined up. Oh, wow. Huh. So we had a good feed there. We stayed there, had a few beers, um, got to know the boys. And, um, and then uh, Chop and Hayden asked me about the Invitational, the first uh, – what was the second invitational, the first one that they held, um, they wanted to do a butchery event. So I created the state butchery challenge where we had four butchers from each state come and compete. So it was sort of like the highlight on the, on the Tuesday, you know, with the barbecue teams as well. And, yeah, just by building up that relationship with the boys, uh, we did the, the next one at the Hawkesbury, the same thing, the state butchery challenge. And then... Uh, they got the vineyard store and Hayden rang me up and said, would you like to open a butcher shop? Oh, wow. We've got a really big venue there. And I said, no. (laughs) Uh, I'd had a butcher shop, you know, 20 years previously and I I knew how much hard work it was. Um, So I went out and saw him the next day anyway, have a look at the venue and seven hours later, um, I said, yeah, you need to have a butcher shop here. So that was about 11 months ago and we're just in the process of opening it up now. Oh, right, yeah. It should be a matter of weeks away. We're looking at the 5th of December maybe. Wow, that's exciting. Which is also the first birthday of Vineyard. So mm-hmm. we'll have a little boutique butchery there. We've got dried fridges. Um, so good. The, the sausages I've been making for the restaurant, we have a sausages a week, um, coming up with some unique flavours and um, the customers have been loving them. They've been selling out every week. So to be able to sell them fresh will be really good. Yeah, no doubt about that at all. So until the 5th of December, you've, you've been telling me that you've been uh, sort of the, the pit master there. You've been lighting the fires and yeah, getting the fires, things ready. Doing, and- a, doing a bit of butchery trimming, mixing the patties for them because they do all their own patties fresh. Um, and just the first night they opened there, you know, brought me back to my McDonald's days. I ended up being on the grill. We had 400 people lined up to get in. Oh, Wow. They said, Shannon, you're on the grill. So about 280 burgers later. Um, <laughs> That's a lot ended. of burgers. Wow. It was, a, it, was a, it was a crazy night, actually, but it was, um, it was really good. Everyone enjoyed it. Yeah, then, yeah. Yeah, but the boys, you know, we, we're looking at that meat unit, processing a lot of the meats for the other stores as well. Yeah, I, I, I can see that's going to be a pretty, uh, pretty awesome deal there. So, um. Black Bear is a real icon um, of barbecue in Australia. We've just been talking about how they've got um, the last two uh, international events have been there. 
what do you think is the is the secret to Black Bear's success? Why are they so good at what they do? Um, really good food. They keep it simple. They do what they do best. You know, we do change the menu now and then. You know, we've tried spring rolls and and do that. Like we, yeah, we're doing pecan pies at the moment. So we do tweak it. We do tweak it up a little bit. But the basics are brisket, ribs, you know, pork belly, hot links. Like you know, the hot link is very very popular. We don't we don't make it there. I, I could do a variety of that, but everyone loves the one they got. So why why change? If it ain't broke, yeah. Um, they're, they're good place to work for. Yeah, they're really, really friendly, really down to earth. Uh, they do like to party too. Um, but you know, that's part of barbecue, I suppose. Yeah, and I think their prices are, are not over the top, which keeps people coming back. Like the start of COVID, when all the pubs and, and restaurants were actually shut down, we increased sales by about 38%. Wow. Because people were able to come in and get takeaway. And it was it was something that was open still. Yep. Yeah, you know, yep. like the KFC probably increased hundred percent because the lineups of the drive through were crazy. Yeah. We also had the lineup, so we you know, we had to put into place COVID plans to control the control the people. Right. So I I was gonna ask, like, did uh, did Black Bear fall outside of most of those COVID regulations or you just had enough space there you were able to still get some people in? Yeah, well, as far as when it was actually, we couldn't have anyone seating. So we, we went from 170 seats, we're now down to about 100. Ouch. That's okay. a significant drop, yeah. Yeah, but to start with, we couldn't have any seats. Yep. Um, so it was just takeaway. And, you know, people, people were really good. They had our patient. You know, they, there was a bit of a wait at, at times, you know. Barbecue's not quick and easy to, to do. No, it's not, no. And, you know, they do understand that. And, you know, we can serve up to you know, 45, 50 people an hour at, at the peak if, if we need to. Um, but it's just that the orders were just massive. You know, the, and it wasn't just a burger and a brisket box. It was a family box, four burgers. Um, we came up with the concept of a heat and eat pack. So we'd cook the brisket, we'd chill it, uh, slice it and, and, and put it in a oven-proof bag. So that, that brisket now you can take home, put it in the microwave for three minutes or put it in the oven for 15 minutes and people were able to have black bear every night of the week. So good. So at the peak of it, we're doing four to 500 bags of um, chilled brisket a week. Wow. You know, the bags that, that I sourced for them, we had to get from Ireland. Yep. No, it's not just a normal cryvac bag. It's one that you can actually put in the oven. Right. So, so yeah, it was it was a lot of hard work, um, a lot of early mornings and 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 late nights prepping all that, but um, it helped us through the COVID period. Yeah, yeah. So that's five hundred bags a week that can feed a family for a week. Uh, no, well, not so much. Like each each bag was sort of um, about three hundred and fifty grams of brisket. Okay. So yep. for some people, a single serve. Others, you know, feed two. Yeah. Yeah, uh, we had we had brisket, pork belly, and we had the hungry bear pack, which had a bit of each in it. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Yep. yeah so yep. there's different portions there, but um, it proved quite popular. You know, the guys coming up and just getting eight or ten packs to put in their freezer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they get home on a Monday night and no black bears open, so bang straight in the oven, dinner's ready. Yeah, very good, yeah. That's um, that's what we do here at the house as well. I I uh, fire up the big smoker and I'll fill that up and then cryovac it in the, in the nighttime into meal-sized portions and freeze that. 
Yeah. It's amazing. So good. Yeah. To me, Bruce is better the next day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Most meals are. Yeah. So what is probably your your favourite thing that you get to do at Black Bear? Uh, I like it when I, when I get to talk to the people. You know, I, I, I'll walk around and, and pick up the dirty plates or whatever and clean the tables. Just ask them if they enjoyed the experience. You know, I, I really like talking to the people. Um, but in, in saying that, I don't mind going out and scrubbing the toilets if it needs to be done. You know, it's, it's a whole premise. You know, it's not just this section's your section. Everyone chips in and, and does their own little bit. You know, I've even got out a hammer and a nail and helped them with the build because the boys are all carpenters. So, you know, this building has been going on ever since we started. We're expanding and expanding and, yeah. If you're looking for your next barbecue smoker or grill, Jagged Woodfired has got what you need. Owners Julianne and Glenn are multiple award-winning barbecue competitors who have even travelled to the US to compete at the World Barbecue Championships in Houston, Texas. Based out of Perth and shipping nationwide, Jagged is one of the largest pit builders in the country and has an ever-growing lineup of meat cooking machinery. Not only do they have their now famous smoker ovens, their incredibly efficient gravity-fed cabinets are proving extremely popular in commercial settings, and they also make some of the most stylish asado grills you're ever going to see. Jagged is also well known for amazingly detailed custom work ranging from backyard designs all the way to installations in commercial kitchens. Proudly Australian designed, owned and manufactured, you can find out more at jaggedwoodfired.com.au spelled J-A-G-R-D. Once again, head to jaggedwoodfired.com.au spelled J-A-G-R-D to learn more. Got a project you'd like to work on with the SHC team? Shoot Ben an email on ben at smokinghotconfessions.com and let's have a conversation. So now it's time for segment two and I thought we might kick things off by uh, finding out about Butcher Wars because I know that you're the man behind Butcher Wars. So give us a bit of an idea of how all that got started. Okay, so Butcher Wars uh, started from Jay Baymont, his, his event meat stock. He wanted to showcase butchers because his grandparents were actually butchers. I didn't know that. Yeah, so they were butchers in Sydney. Um, he, he tells me that they were probably one of the first butchers to wear all white. Okay. Yeah, so there's a bit of history there for Jay. Um, and he, he'd seen all these master chefs and home renovation shows and he said, okay, let's put butchers on the pedestal. So I saw the advertisements coming up on social media and I said, oh, butcher wars. And, and I just started myself at TAFE and I thought, geez, I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to have a crack at this, you know, competing. And I thought about it for a couple of days, actually didn't sleep for a couple of days thinking about it. <laughs> so, so I got in, I finally got hold of Jay's phone number. I rang him up and asked him all about it. So at the end of that conversation, I ended up saying, listen, mate, I won't compete because there's a lot better butchers out there than me, but I'd love to come and help you. And he was so grateful that, you know, I offered that. Um, so I've, I've turned up to meet stock on a Saturday, had a look around. Uh, they had Barber Wars, which was a good event, but, you know, the, the crowd wasn't really right into it. And I thought, okay, I don't know how this is going to go tomorrow. So Jade told me to turn up at 11 o'clock for 11.30 start. So I, I'll get there at 7.30 in the morning. 
<laughs> um, luckily, I did, so I had to clean up all the hair from the barbers, and and we got we got the place ready. Oh wow! <laughs> um, so, so yeah, we got all ready, and then this little little bloke with a beard turns up, called George. So he, he was there to help me also. And I said, okay, wow, this bloke's loud, noisy, but he seems like a nice fella. <laughs> So we get there and we, all the butchers start arriving. And I knew some of them and some of them I hadn't met before. So we'll just get them all organised. You know, some of them have brought big tables, which they weren't allowed to. So, yeah, we, they'd given them rules beforehand. But being the first one, we didn't know what to expect. The butchers didn't know what to expect. So the first round comes and we just were in the auditorium at um, Homebush. And all of a sudden now there's 100 people there and then, there's three, four hundred people there, and then there's not one seat left in the auditorium. And at Jess Pryles was um, emceeing the event. So it was the first time I met Jess. She, she was lovely too. So we, I bounced off her a little bit with a little bit of the commentary that she was doing. Um, yeah, George was there with his broom sweeping up, and we're just trying to make things between rounds. Like there's only like 10 minutes between rounds, so we don't want to lose the crowd. Yep. So we've got to yep. get the lead away, we've got to do all that. Um, and by the end of the day, each round was just crazy with the, the amount of the crowd, the audience. You know, we're doing the Mexican wave. Um, people were cheering there for butchers, and I'd never seen anything like it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I walked away after about probably about 8, 9 o'clock at night after I had to pack all the meat up because we give all the meat to Oz Harvest for charity. Oh, very good. So so they wanted it all packed up nicely, so we did all that. Um I get home and my wife said, "Oh, how was your day?" I said, oh, "Bugger!" You know? I, I did forty thousand steps that day. Oh wow! <laughs> and um, but I said, "What a great event for the industry." Um, so you know, I really enjoyed it. And I said, "I hope it happens again next year." And then I see Auckland meat stock. So I ring Jay, you know, probably three or four months out, so a little bit of preparation for this one. Um, and he said, yeah, I want you on board. You know, I want you to come over to Auckland and help us, blah, blah, blah. So it was a real battle to get the Auckland butchers involved. Why is that? Uh, like a lot of butchers are, you know, not scared, but, you know, it's being up on stage, it's not, not something they're used to. Okay. So anyway, we, we got the full crew up there and um, I, I arrived at the airport in Auckland at 12 p.m. at night. And I turned my phone on after getting off the plane and I got a message from Jay, please set your alarm for 4.15 a.m. Oh, God. <laughs> so, so from 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock, get into the hotel room and then I get there and I'm sleeping about five metres from Jay who snores louder than XVT. <laughs> so I, I probably had about half an hour sleep. We get there, like, like my involvement isn't just butcher walls at, at Moosock anymore. It's, yeah, moving fences, getting the whole, you know, helping the staging chairs, making sure the cool room's there, the meat's delivered. So there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes that myself, George and Stuart um, do. And we've got, you know, Paul Suleiman and Timmy Waller, a couple of the other guys really help out where they can. Um, Organising the judges and all that. So it, it's a really, it's a mass production. It really is. And Butcher Wars has just gone from strength to strength to strength. We've had butchers from Italy. We've had butchers from Scotland, America, Ireland, uh, France, 
uh, French, I should say, um, Canada, all come over to various events to compete. Uh, Brazil. So that's how I met the butchers from Brazil. They came over to compete. And um, so therefore we ended up doing a butcher wars while we're over in Brazil. Oh, you guys were actually competing in that, were you? Yeah, so so we there was only six butchers competing. They had two rounds of three. Yep. Um, I actually competed myself and Craig Munro yep. from Munro's yep. Mills. Um, really nice fella. Uh, Glenn Dun- Dunbrell and George were judges. Um, so we get there and I'm about to compete. You know, I borrowed some knives. I wasn't really prepared. I just wanted to help out to get the, the event running up there. So they go, we get there and it's about eight cameras. Oh. On the stage, and a, my my mate up there, Aldo, he's there talking. I, you know, it's I sort of tell me what he was saying, and then another guy jumps up, and he comes up to my ear and he goes, "Shannon, this is going to the Brazilian news. It's going to be thirty-two million people watching this." Oh, oh wow! How and awesome! It's not the whole event, but just a, just an introduction to the event. Yeah, you know, what's yeah, happening? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and straight away I had to go and change my undies. Yeah, I'll bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, but but even in front of you know the, the six seven hundred people there that were watching, it was it's very daunting. And um, but by the end of it, they were there clapping and cheering, and the Brazilian guys came first and second. But for me, what really highlighted that was the effort that they put in. Like they came over to Sydney and they saw, yeah, you know, what the guys were doing. Yeah, and to get there and see the preparation they put in the products they put up, and no doubt, should have they won? Yes, they should have won. They were awesome. They were fantastic. You know, butchers over there are like rock stars. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Even when I was there, like, I had 400 people take a selfie with me. <laughs> oh, wow. And, like, you know, I just go, photo with me? Yeah, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> it was crazy. It really was. Yeah, yeah. So, so there's supposed to be one in a couple of weeks in Greece. Um, oh, wow. We just got out last night. That's it. That's got postponed. I I dare say, yep. <laughs> yeah. So so actually, the guy that was running it, John, he came to Melbourne last year to compete. Okay. Yep. So he's turned up from Greece, and obviously, leave stock got cancelled. So yeah, he was he was devastated. Yeah. Just to say that you know, so we ended up taking him to a Weber store. Uh, many thanks to Weber. Um, and he was able to present his presentation that he was going to do at Butcher Wars inside the Weber store to 30 or 40 people. Oh, well, that's good. And he, he put it on Facebook and he ended up getting about 8,000 views. Wow, nice. Yeah, so, yeah, it really, it really helped him. It made his trip. Yeah, you know, yeah. For him not to compete. He had sponsors and all that that helped him come over. So, yeah, it really, really helped him that way. So just if there's any listeners out there who are not familiar with what Butcher Wars actually is, can you just give us a bit of a, just a quick 30-second nuts and bolts breakdown of what it actually is? Certainly can because it seems like 30 seconds when you're up there. So <laughs> the butchers get 30 minutes to cut, break down, present a half a saddle of pork and a side of lamb. They right. can bring any garnishes they want. Um, they've got to present it on the same board that they're cutting on. Um, it's action-packed from start to finish. Yeah, there is yeah. something that's um, that's that's really magnetic about seeing butchers at work. I was doing some work uh, a couple of years ago with a butcher shop up here, and uh, the head butcher there he did a video. He hung up a a side of beef and just made a video of him slicing this, uh, like breaking down this uh, this side of beef. 
set it to some music, put it up on Facebook, 17 million views. Yeah. It went viral. It was insane. Yeah, it is, there's a lot of interest now in butchery. Um, there really is from sausage making to carcass breakdown, you know, the whole lot. Um, yeah, and butchers are, are doing a really good job. Like Blake's like Scotty Evans, you know, incredible. Yeah, his following that he's got, you know, the love that people give to Scotty is amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's, he's got like a little, uh, it's East Blacksland Bru- uh, Butchery, isn't it? That's correct, yeah. That, that's him, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, he's got like his own little sort of cult, cult happening yeah. down there. He's got that in Sydney. Glenn Dunbarrell's got that in Melbourne. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so you know, butchers are really, you got the squealing pig up in, in Brisbane. He got attacked by vegans. His Facebook profile went from 400 people to 23,000 in a week. <laughs> and he's got the vegans to thank for that. Yeah. <laughs> so, but on, on top of that, he's doing good stuff. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, he's, make, he's making some of the best pies. He does one of the best brisket and macaroni pies in the world. Really? That's interesting. Yeah. So, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, no, he's very good. Um, yeah, Bert and Gary, I think he's at. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm just on the Gold Coast. I'm not too far away. Yeah. Yeah, no, really nice fellow. Cool. He, um, just as briefly on Butcher Wars, he came to Butcher Wars um, in Sydney about two years ago and he hasn't missed one since. Oh, right. He just loves the, the way the butchers interact with, with each other. Like at first we thought, okay, there's going to be a couple of high flyers. Hey, I'm better than you, but it's not about that. The butchers really behind the scenes that. Build up a real friendship, and we've got a whole big network now of butchers. And um, yeah, yeah I ring butchers nearly every day that have been involved. Yeah, we chat, see how they are, especially during COVID. You know, like butchers were doing it really tough, not because it was quiet, but because of what they were getting smashed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And still, you know, their takings are up now. So yeah, a lot of them have, you know, cut their hours back so they can cope. Oh, right. Okay. So they've got enough time to prep all the stock for the next day and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it was just too hard for them. And even mentally, like, you know, you yeah, can't do those 15 hour days all the day. Yeah. Week in, week out. No, no. But um, seeing as we're now talking about uh, butchers and butcher shops and all that sort of stuff, you're working on yet another new project. You've got uh, the Butcher's Cookbook. Tell us what's happening there. Yeah. So I'm, I've been thinking about this for about five years. It was a bit of a dream I had. You know, I was going to call it you know, cooking straight from the butcher's mouth. You know, I was going to do the book myself. I had no idea what I was thinking of and doing. Um, so a couple of years ago, I spoke to Jay and he, he's written some book, cookbooks before and we sent a few emails to each other about it and didn't go anywhere. We we're both busy. So when COVID sort of hit, I said, let's meet halfway, Port Macquarie, Sydney. So we had a weekend and we said, okay, let's, let's make this happen. So I've had to go around the country or by phone call, emails, and I've signed up 50, 50 butchers around the, around the country. Right. So each butcher has to submit two recipes and a little bio about themselves. Okay, yep. Okay, so we're at about 90% of um, recipes coming in. So the book's sold out. Um, and some of the pictures and the recipes these guys are coming up with, absolutely incredible. I saw some of the teaser shots. It looks amazing. Yes. Yeah. There's um, some really, really, really good stuff. Yeah. You know, the butchers have had to go out and get their own photographers. <coughs> but each butcher I've spoken to have really enjoyed doing it. It's something that they don't do day to day. Um, 
and their social media, those that have posted on their social media has gone ballistic, you know, three, 400 likes, 80 comments. A lot of them are going to sell out of the book before it even hits the store, which won't be till February um, next year. Uh, a good friend of mine's doing the forward, um, young Jess Proles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so she's going to do the forward for the cookbook, um, just explaining how important the butcher is to a community and, and even to a barbecue team, like having having a proper butcher for a barbecue team is really, really important. It's a key. Yeah, yeah. So so when I oh, was making Cole's barbecue, when we got reserved Grand Champion, I was working for a place uh, in Sydney called the Meat Boutique. That weekend, we got they got reserved Grand Champion. Um, Smoking Coles got best lamb. Weber Kennel Club got best in pork. So we've got RGC, first in lamb, first in pork, fifth in brisket, all from this one butcher shop. Wow, that's a that's a great indication of the of the quality and the and the degree of craftsmanship. And, well, that's and, and that butcher shop didn't take off with the low and slow. No. Um, once again, it's probably marketing, but. The quality of it, yeah, but they they knew probably because I was working there too, the relationship with the teams, what they wanted, were able to source it and get it in. Yeah, yeah. And building up a relationship with your butcher, whether you're a home cook or a com- competitive cook, really, really important. If, if you've got a little passion for barbecue, you've got to know your butcher's first name. You can't just go out there and say, oh, I saw a brisket, I'm going to go buy a brisket off the butcher. Because that butcher won't have the brisket you want. No. Okay? Or a Boston butt. A lot of butchers still don't know what a Boston butt is unless they're in the barbecue scene. No, they don't. Um, ribs, you know, the, the shiners of the butcher sell for twenty nine ninety nine. Okay? They've got a purpose, but they're not good for barbecue, barbecuing in the competition scene. No, they're not. They're not. But I'm, I'm curious now that you've just said that there, that there is a purpose for shiners. What's the purpose? Well, your everyday cook. Okay. It's, to them, it's a great meal. It falls off the, the meat falls off the bone. Yeah, how good am I? You know, the meat's falling off the bone. It's fantastic. You know, and when I first started in the butchery, I was actually working for Primo Small Goods for a while as a sales rep. And there was a pizza shop wanting these American-style ribs. Yeah, okay, 20 cents a kilo. We are throwing them out. Butchers were throwing them out when I started. Wow, 20 cents a kilo, my God. Uh, so it went from 10 kilos a week and then all of a sudden it was 20, 30. So the price obviously went up, with, you know, 50 cents a dollar. And then within about a year, I remember selling 400 kilos in one day once. Wow. And they were, huh. and they were shiners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's how butchers are trained. Of to, course, yeah. To take as much meat as they can off the bone. So it's still this day... For for profit for a butcher, the shine is the best value. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So for them to leave meat on that is destroying, not destroying, but lessening another cut. Yeah, right. Yeah, because you gotta the butchers have to choose between the belly and the and the ribs. That's right. And, and uh, yeah, belly's so popular now with MasterChef and all that. Um yeah, that's another thing. MasterChef is, you know, if someone's doing beef cheeks, you you won't can't get enough beef cheeks. So it's influenced by media. Oh yeah, of of course, yeah. It it'd be interesting to know if um if MasterChef would be able to uh, publish recipes and things beforehand, so butchers would be able to get ready in advance. Yeah, it'd be good, but it doesn't happen like that. No. Yeah, you know, like 
like way back when I had my shop, you know, Sunday paper, they'd always have a little a cooking thing. And it wouldn't be as much as MasterChef, but, you know, you see skirt steak. Okay, so, so skirt steak's in this week, okay? So I'll just buy a couple of kilos of that because I'm more than likely going to get someone to ask for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, butchers got to be aware and say, okay, MasterChef's, you know, doing, you know, kangaroo, even can- stuff like kangaroo. A lot of butchers don't carry kangaroo anymore. No. Nah. But if, if it comes up on TV, you know, there's going to be 4 or 5% of the population that are going to want to try it. You're listening to the internationally awarded Smoking Hot Confessions podcast with massive barbecue nerd Ben Arnott. Alrighty, Shannon. Now this is the third segment where we usually wrap up the interview with a bit of a bit of a lesson for the viewers and the listeners, um, sharing some of your expertise. Now, uh, as you mentioned before, you do work at TAFE and you actually teach a a game meat course. Um, could you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so, so for five years now, or over five years, I've been at TAFE teaching the game meat harvesting. So any licensed harvester that harvests um, roos, deers, camels, rabbits for human consumption or pet food, they need to do a hygiene course um, through me at TAFE. Um, I look after all of Victoria, WA and New South Wales. Oh, wow. So it's all online. Um, the teaching that I do, I do go out and do a few workshops. Um, from time to time for large numbers. Um, and it's it's really interesting. If you haven't eaten game meat, do it. It's really good for the environment. You know, a lot of them are pest, but they do eat really, really nice. Um, it, I know it's a bit expensive if you need to buy it from a, a premises, but it's worth it from time to time. Yeah, right. So... When you're saying that you teach the hygiene classes, what sort of what's different between when you're processing a traditional animal like a pig or a cow versus a game like deer or rabbit? Okay, well, the, the pig and the cow they're all slaughtered in an abattoir, whereas um, out in the field these animals are slaughtered out in the field, so they need to be be dressed out in the field. They need to, they need to yeah, bleed them. You need to take the, the guts out, out out in an open field. So, you know, to bleed an animal's got to be done within three minutes. To gut the animal's got to be done within 20 minutes. Uh, you've got to have temperature control all the way from the time it's the field until it gets to the, um, the chiller box. So the carcass is delivered to a chiller box. From that chiller box is then gone to a processing plant where it does get inspected by a meat inspector still. Um, and then, yeah, so it's really about, you know, sanitising between your cups. Um, washing your hands, making sure that your equipment's clean before you use it, knowing the regulations, knowing you've got the right licences. Um, okay, there's a lot, so of weekend, a lot of weekend warriors out there. Yeah, yeah. Which is good. Like, they've got a place as long as they're doing it, the right thing. Because of course. Because it's a big industry. Now, we used to export $75 million of kangaroo to Russia every year. Really? Um, because of some poor hygiene um, that, that stopped overnight. So the, okay. country went, the country had $75 million a year to zero overnight. What happened there? Uh, it was bad hygiene by um, some people. So that's why the course that, that we do is really increasing in how we do it. Um, and there's a lot of you know, really good people in the industry pushing towards the standards. And we've tried to get Russia back. It hasn't happened yet. But there are other markets opening up around the world for roommate because there's a lot of roos in Australia, you know. 
I heard the other day it's like seven million wild camels. Really? Deer. I... The deer population is crazy. Huh. Yeah, I had no idea. The, in your, in your lounge room, you know, up on the sunny Gold Coast, but um, there's a lot of deer out in the bush, and, and even wild pigs, there's probably 55 million wild pigs causing probably $20 million worth of damage a year to fences and crops. You know, it's, it's a real problem for farmers. Yeah, um, yeah. There is a guy down at the south of Sydney, uh, Rob Galena, who's in the process of doing a a uh, mobile processing plant for game meat. So oh, that's interesting. He's, he's had this idea for a couple of years and he's just about to open it up. Um, he's a good mate of mine. Um, I've actually taken Big Mo Kason down uh, for a, f- a few weekends and, and days down there with Rob. So we've taken Mo out in the bush. Obviously, Mo can't shoot because he hasn't got a license in Australia. But just enjoying the, the lifestyle out there, cooking. Yeah, you know, we had, a, had some deer on the spit. You know, we had a little rib competition while we we're out in the bush. Um, I even took Mo to Anzac Day. Oh wow, he would have appreciated oh, that. A pub down in Anzac Day, yes, he really did appreciate it. He didn't appreciate it the next day. <laughs> but um, yeah, we talked about it too up. The labels really enjoyed it, and he really understood and respected what the day was all about. Um, being a veteran himself. Yeah, yeah. How but, did he um, find the Aussie yeah. bush? Yeah, like he, he just loves it. Like every every time he's come out since, he'll plan a week either side of meat stock to go out bush. Okay. Yeah. So we're all in our little swags, but nah, Mo's got a four-man tent. <laughs> We've got a large blow-up bed. Yeah, so. But he loves it. Like, yeah, he really he does a lot of hunting at home. Um, so to get him out here, and yeah, he really, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, what do you think would be your your personal favourite game to to hunt and clean and eat? Um, I, I like kangaroo. I, I really do. Like uh, the tail, the kangaroo tail stew is amazing. Okay. I think it's better than an oxtail. Um, so much more flavour and in depth. Um, even the raw kangaroo, the capaccio, done correctly. Raw kangaroo. Yeah. Amazing. You're not so, worried about worms and all that sort of stuff? Well, you, you've got to know how to inspect the carcass. Okay. So that's sort of one of my jobs. So, yes, I'm, I'm a qualified meat inspector as well, so I am, I am able to, to, to look at that. But most regular hunters would be able to find that. Um, yeah, there are some worms, but if the worms are in the joints, they're not going to affect the meat. Okay, so there's certain, certain things to look out for in the root, but it's – one as a butcher, I probably shouldn't say this, but a 200 gram steak will take 200 liters of water to produce. Okay, so one What's little steak, yeah, okay. Whereas kangaroo, you're looking at about 20 liters. Oh, okay, so for sustainability and the environment, yeah, kangaroo is much better, yeah, definitely, yeah. I thought you were going to tell me some horrible story about steaks and worms. I was going to say, don't no, ruin it for me. Don't all. ruin steaks for me. Don't do it. Not at all. No, I love a steak too. Don't worry about that. Yeah, yeah. What's your favourite steak, Ben? Oh, I, I do love ribeye, um, yeah. I, but I, I, I think that's everyone's kind of standard favourite. Yeah, um, I like a T-bone so you get that, that two different textures. Yeah, yeah. Good yeah. quality T-bone. 
Yeah. Now, for me, it's it, it's all about the marbling. But uh, tell me a bit more about this kangaroo stew. What do you put in the pot? Oh, you put whatever you've got. You've got carrots, you've got potatoes, you know, you've got your, your beef, beef stock or vegetable stock, and you just let it sit there for from the morning to the night time. And do you season it with uh, with native herbs and spices or just yeah, salt yeah, and pepper? Or? Native herbs and spices, like Rob who does it, he calls himself a bit of a bush cook. Um, he, he does really well. Um, we've done actually a couple of demonstrations um, for chefs ourselves. Um, I'd break down the carcass and he would do some cooking demonstrations for him. And he does use some natural herbs. We we're lucky enough to go to Broken Hill um, and we had 30 Aboriginal students up there. Oh, yeah. Uh, ranging from 18 years to 70. Wow. So even elders in the local community. Um, and we, I did my course up there with them. So I was teaching them how to harvest hygienically and they really appreciated it. And the next night we had a fire and we cooked up and we cooked kangaroo, kangaroo tail just in the coals, um, their dampers, absolutely amazing experience. Really was. was I'd rate that up there with going to Brazil. Oh, no doubt about that at all. Broken Hill, Brazil, totally different places. But yeah. to me, they're life-changing experiences. Well, there'd be quite the opportunity there um, if there are so many wild animals um, for some equity, uh, equity, equitable, equitable programming for for indigenous communities. They'd be able to set up some of these industries. You're talking about a seventy five million dollar industry for Russia. They'd surely there'd be government programs set up to help indigenous communities sort of um, take advantage of those opportunities. Yeah, like that was that was one of the main reasons I did the course. So they were looking at the tourism, so they could harvest. And, and feed the tourists. Um, but you've got the problem of the, the carcass has still got to go through that meat inspection. Of course. Okay, so there's a lot of hurdles for them to overcome. Um, we are still working through them with that, to, you know, make it viable for them. So good, man. I love that. I love that they're, so much. They're great people. Like, they really are. Like, it's so much fun, so many laughter, so many stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you were to pick a game meat then that uh, that deserves a place at competition barbecue, what would you say that is? Yeah, like a lot of guys won't cook it because it, it's not really, you know, for low and slow, there's not much, too much fat to it. Um, but at SEA event, you know, you could have the kangaroo stew or you could have some venison backstrap. Um, there's opportunity there, I think, but maybe not so on the ABA. Mm, yeah, fair enough. They, uh, I can't imagine that some uh, kangaroo brisket would go down real well. No, there's like very little fat. There's, you know, there's no fat at all. Um, like in saying that, you could do a kangaroo tail stew in a smoker just like you do in the campfire and still come out beautiful. It's a good point, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. would be very nice. There, there are options like that. Um, you know, even the venison shoulder in a stew, you, you could do that quite easily. Yeah, it's, it's, Anything dry with no fat, if you had moisture, you're, you're, you're on a good path. But if you're doing a stew or venison, it doesn't matter. If you're doing lamb, chicken, pork, any stew you're doing, make double what you need because it's so good the next day. Yeah. So I, I do that with my barbecue. If I cook a, if I've got four people over for dinner and I cook a brisket, I'll cook a full brisket because I can utilize that in spring rolls, pies, quiches. I did a brisket lasagna the other day. Absolutely amazing. First time I've done that. Always cook extra when you barbecue and go to that, you know, you 
paid all that money for coals and the meat, cook that a little bit extra. Definitely, definitely. All right, that's probably better a good point for us now to start wrapping up the the, the episode. Uh, so I'm going to throw it over to you now. Give a shout out, give some thanks to uh, people that have helped you along the way and make sure you tell everybody where they can track you down on the internet. Okay. Yeah. Well, thanks for having us, Ben. Um, big shout out to, to Jay Baymont, the meat stock crew. Um, they really changed my life. You know, that experience I've had with them. Um, Victoria Knox Knife, you know, really helped me out. Um, Black Bear Barbecue, um, just recently Weber. You know, thanks, guys. I'm happy, you know, I'm not getting paid by you, but I love doing stuff for you. you know, I don't do a lot of stuff for the money. Um, and a big shout out to all the butchers around Australia. You guys, are, you know, you, whether you compete in butcher wars or not, you, you're doing the community, you know, you're feeding the, the country. So you know, really, you know, well done to you guys. Like, you know, go out there, love your butcher, get to know your butcher. Yeah, you know, really, really important. So good, mate. So good. Now, just make sure you do tell everybody where we can find you on the internet. Oh, yes. You can find me at uh, Instagram, all things meat. Okay. So it's all things meat. Um, I came up with that profile a couple of years ago and it's stuck. Um, Suits. Yeah. And um, Black Bear Boutique Butchery on Facebook. I'm excited to see what you come up with there. That sounds really cool. Yeah. It is it, 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 exciting, but it's going to be hard work. But we're looking oh. forward to it. No doubt, man. And I'm, I'm absolutely sure you're up to the task. Yeah, that should be good. Yeah. Well, look, thanks so much for coming on board the show today. I've really appreciated your time. I've learned a lot. I've got pages of notes here, pages of notes. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for, for sharing some of your experiences and wisdom with us all. No worries. One more thing, Ben. I just want to say what great work you do too. Oh, thank you, mate. I appreciate it. Well done. I love listening to you guys every week. Alrighty, there you have it, family. That was the incredible Shannon Walker from, oh my goodness, where do we even start? Black Bear Barbecue, uh, Butcher Wars, uh, the new upcoming cookbook, The Butcher Cookbook. Um, he teaches those, uh, those game meat courses at, uh, at, at TAFE. I mean, this guy is just, he's all over the meat industry. It's absolutely fantastic. This episode has been riveting for me. I'm sure it has for you. And I have, as I said just a couple of minutes ago, I've learned a ton from it. So uh, I'm really looking forward to being able to get this out to you very soon. So before we go, I just want to remind you of some of the announcements that we had earlier. Big thanks go to Jagged for helping us bring out this episode to you. They've jumped on board as a podcast partner. If you are looking for your next barbecue, smoker, grill, uh, perilla, steak presses, if you've seen the steak press that I use in my videos, that comes from Jagged. It is a brilliant bit of gear. Do make sure you check them out, jaggedwoodfire.com.au. And again, huge thanks to them for being a part of the show. We do still have that ebook available for you over on the website, The Beginner's Guide to Real Barbecue. So if you've just heard all this talk about all this delicious meat here with Shannon, make sure you do head over onto smokinghotconfessions.com, have a bit of a click around, pop your details into the pop-up window when it does appear, and we'll send that out to you straight away. Come join us on the Facebook group, Smoking Hot Confessions Barbecue Community. It is the nicest little corner of the internet, and uh, it's a really positive, uplifting place to be. And the last one is, of course, if you are watching this on YouTube, do give us a thumbs up, a subscribe, and hit the little notification bell. If you're watching on Facebook, give us a thumbs up. No. If you're watching on Facebook, give us a like, a share, drop a comment if you want to with a couple of questions. We'd really appreciate it. If you're watching on Instagram TV, we want the little hearts and the follows. They're fantastic little things. And if you are listening on a podcast app, particularly if it's Apple, um, do give us a five-star rating and review. That will really help us out. 
So that is about all the time we have for today. Again, huge thanks to Shannon for coming on board. Huge thanks to Jagged for being our podcast partner. And until next time, take care of each other and keep on queuing. Thanks for listening to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Head on over to smokinghotconfessions.com for recipes, tips, and Ben's own confessions.